This year in 2018, our theme is Growing in Grace. That theme is one that I'm very excited about, uh, not just because I'm preaching it, but because I, I think it's something that Northsiders are naturally good at, and it's something that we can also grow in and excel at. The grace of God is something that's largely misunderstood, and yet at the same time, it's something we must understand if we're to mature in our relationship and in our walk with the Lord. The Apostle Peter said that it is necessary for us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The question is not if we do that. The question is really how we do that. And I'll start off this cold winter morning by telling you a story from the spring. When I was in youth ministry, there was a time during spring break. We would take the teens out and we would do service projects during spring break. And so uh, this particular spring break, we happened to be studying about grace. And I thought this would be a good time to teach them a lesson on grace. I said, what I want you to do is spring break. I want you to come <clears throat> bring uh, $10 for lunch and we'll have lunch together and do our service project that day. And so we gathered together, the group that came for that lunch that day, they all had their money. We loaded in the van, and we went down to the Town West Mall. Now, for some of you here, a mall is a place where you used to go to shop. It was before Amazon or anything like that, but we went down to the Town West Mall, and we went there to the food court. But as we were getting ready to enter the mall, I turned around, and I, I said to all the teen group that was there, I said, listen, I told you we're going to have lunch today, and that's true. But what I want to tell you is that what you're going to do with your lunch money is you're going to buy lunch for someone else, a perfect stranger, someone you don't know. And that made him excited to be there that day, I can tell you. So into the food court we go, and I, the youth minister, get to take the seat of honor and just sit back and watch this play out. As I watch 7th through 12th graders try to figure out how to give grace. That really wasn't the lesson. The lesson was to watch how people responded to grace. You see, grace is often defined as unearned gift, unmerited favor from God. We understand that intellectually, but, but how is it when you receive a gift that you didn't earn? You know, this past Christmas season... We give out little gifts, and there are always people who feel obligated, even though everybody gets this little gift, they always send a thank you note. You know, this, like they cannot let a gift of kindness go unpaid back. So back to the food court, we're sitting back and watching as some teenagers go up to a perfect stranger, and with money sort of shaking in hand, they say, I would like to buy you lunch today. And some people scoffed. I've got money. I don't need your money. I mean, can, can, I don't know what kind of you know Amway you're selling, but I, I don't. I don't need it. Okay, I'm just here to buy lunch. Don't harass me. Some people had questions. They, they wanted to know more. Well, what's this about? And who are you with? And why are you doing this? Because I don't even know you. And eventually, after a series of a barrage of questions, they would they would reluctantly let them buy their lunch. And some people just looked down and said, hey, thank you. It, it was those three general responses, rejection, questioning, or just full-hearted acceptance that, that I believe most human beings fall into when it comes to the subject matter of grace. 
It's something greater than a free lunch, you understand. Uh, I don't know when you were baptized, but I remember the, the night, the Sunday night that I was, and I can remember thinking as I, as I was being hugged by that church, and I was kind of still a little wet in the hair, and, and I, I was remembering, like, in my mind, this thought that it's too good to be true. I mean, is, is that really all that, all that it is? And now, now Jesus has paid the price for my sins, that his spirit lives within me. Is, it, is that all that was necessary? And I still think it's too good, but I still think it's too good not to be true. So we're talking about grace, and we're talking about how to grow in grace. And so today, this morning, as a part of that, we're starting a new series called All Things New. Now, I intended to read to you from Romans chapter 5, which is going to be about on page 1116 in the Pew Bible. I don't know if you're using an iPad or a phone or your own Bible, but find Romans chapter 5. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time, so you're just going to have to read that on your own. But Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, is the story of two men. The first man who was ever created, Adam, and the first man who ever truly lived, Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul takes these two men and he compares them. And he says, basically this is summing up chapter 5 now. He says, sin and death came through Adam. You and I are unable to imagine what it's like to have a world without sin and death. But the Bible tells us for a very short period of time, there was such a world. But after, after sin entered the world through Adam and Eve and their sin, then came shame, then came guilt, then came blame, then came all of the brokenness that we understand in our world. There's an old joke about two fish that are swimming together and they're talking as they're going along the stream and, and there comes a fish coming from the other direction and he says, good afternoon boys, how's the water? And he swims past by and one fish looks at the other fish and says, what's water? Fish don't have any idea what water is because they're surrounded by it. That's their whole world. In the same way that fish probably don't fully understand water, you and I don't probably fully understand the world of sin and brokenness that we live in. Paul says in Romans 5 that there is sin and death, and that came through Adam. Now, some people teach that you are born sinful, that you are born guilty of another man's sin. And we teach, according to the Bible, we don't believe that's true. I believe that people are born innocent, but that you have a tendency to sin because you're surrounded by it all the time. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul makes this great comparison, and then he steps into what I think is a very important message. We're talking about having a new life. How do we escape this world of sin that we're surrounded by? And the answer to that is grace. Dave Smith is now going to read from Romans chapter 6. If you're following along, Romans chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and look at that in depth this morning. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul here says, listen, there's a problem. And the problem is, is that Adam brought in the world with which you are so familiar. And Christ brought in, brought in something entirely different, the free gift of life through his grace. 
And, and there's a way into his grace, and that's what we're going to look at. Because but Paul says that's truly the only way to have new life. Oh, I think January 7th is probably the appropriate time to talk about this. Because by now, you have messed up. I'm sure of it. I'm sure you've messed up at least one day this week on one of your resolutions. I did. Okay, you, you, you have these great ideas, these, these wonderful ideals, these lofty goals, but by January 7th, you've, you've come back down to reality. You've come to the reality and understanding that you have something within you that's broken. And we gotta learn to deal with that. Paul says, he starts off by saying, What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, sin brought in brokenness and death. And there is something within our nature. And I'm not going to call it sin. I don't believe it's you're guilty automatically by default of another person's sin. But there's something not full, not complete, broken, flawed within your nature. Call it whatever you will, but let me give you some examples. Paul says in Romans 7:18, I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right and yet not the ability to carry it out. You and I understand this if we just think of some some visuals I'll give you. Uh, first is uh, this one. A sign says clearly, do not climb, play on and around the pipe. And yet human beings tend to gravitate toward doing what the sign says not to do. Here's one from Staples. You go into Staples, they have this section, a whole section of markers. They have this particular section, and, and people have gotten a little out of control with the markers. And so somebody thought, hey, I've got a great idea. How about I put up a sign that tells people, please don't use the markers on the wall. And that didn't work out very well. There's a sign here. I don't know where this path is, but the sign says, please do not go beyond this point. It should just say, please go beyond this point. There is something within our nature as descendants of Adam and Eve that when there's the rule, all the rule does is bring up something within us, a desire to go outside the rule, to see how far we can get, to say it won't really affect me. There's something that, that's something that sin brought in. You say, well, that doesn't, that's not true for me. That may be true for these other sinners at Staples or these other heathens who are climbing on the pipe. But, but, but not me. I'm church going folk. All right. I, I can, I can show you just one simple example if we play something called the chicken game. You ready to play the chicken game? The chicken game is simply this. Don't look at the chicken. Game over. You lose. Within you, there is something that when, when something says don't, you do. When something says do, you're reluctant. What is that? Paul says that's sin. That's what came from Adam. And because we're so surrounded in it, it's hard for us to recognize it, even within, especially within ourselves sometimes. We can't see what, what the, the problems, the struggles, the, the heartache that sin brings. And yet we know we have to die to it. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes there 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he writes this. Now, he, he's saying it's worse than that. It's, it's not just that sin is bad. It's that it has a consequence. You who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You see, whether we're in a church building this morning or not, the truth is this. We all have a tendency to gravitate towards sin. That sin brings tremendous consequences far beyond our ability to see In most cases, far beyond our ability to understand. Paul says that we are called then to do this. We have to die to sin. We have to be willing. We have to be willing to turn away from it. And that doesn't mean we aren't ever tempted to sin. That just means we we won't choose to yield to it any longer. That's why we we have to begin with new birth. You see, it's, it's not just a matter of you saying, oh, I'm just going to stop sinning. And some people believe that. Some people say, oh, I, I just got to stop sinning. Well, hopefully I've just helped you understand that's harder than you know. You've got something within your nature that almost makes it impossible. Even when you intentionally try to not sin, your nature is to gravitate toward doing the thing you shouldn't do. So Paul says we've got to have a new birth. This is now back to Romans chapter 6. Do you know that, not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, new life isn't just a matter of, you know, all I got to do is just keep the Ten Commandments. All I got to do is just keep the rules. All I got to do is stop doing the bad things. No, if you want a new life, you got to have new birth. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, the great rabbi, the great teacher, teaches a teacher. It's so cool. He he teaches this man named Nicodemus who goes to him at night, and they have this discussion. And I just want to pick out part of it in John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 3 if you're following along. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can I say that again? Unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Baptism, the word simply means immersion, submersion, a burial, if you will. And and the thing is, the weird thing is that a lot of people want to argue about baptism. They say, well, baptism is it's a good thing, but it's not necessarily required. There's nothing. I mean, you're just trying to earn your salvation if you're trying to be baptized. It's just a work. My question to you is what what? If baptism is a work, isn't belief a work? Isn't repentance a work? Or aren't anything we do to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ a work by their definition? So we see, of course, baptism is not a work. It's a response. 
It's it, when we come to the understanding that we are dead in sin, that we got to die to sin. We understand we need to be buried with Jesus Christ. And that cannot happen. And that will not happen until you're buried with Christ in baptism, as Paul says. A lot of people want to argue and debate about baptism. Let me tell you, they only argue with Jesus. If you're this morning and you're a guest and you say, well, I'm not really sure about this whole baptism thing. You know, I've always heard that you just need to ask Jesus into your heart. I've always heard you just pray this prayer. Listen, you will not find that in the book. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to do what he says. If you want to argue about baptism, you're only arguing with Jesus himself. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is very clear on the subject. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Turn over one book to Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. So people say, say, listen, Jesus only said all you have to do there is believe. And then the baptism just comes later. Listen, stop. Jesus is linking these two. If you believe me, in other words, you'll do what I ask you to do. I offer an invitation right here to my Instagram crew. Okay, you ready? Look up right here. This morning, I want to make you an offer. And the offer is simply this. Whoever will come up here and get it and have this $20 bill. Now, we understand what just happened there. What was the $20 bill? That's grace. I told him about the grace. I gave him the opportunity. But see, I don't don't know how many of there are this morning. 40, 50 of you down front here. Only one of you. All of you had to decide. Is the preacher serious? What's he going to do? Is there a trap door up there? What's he doing now? All of you had to decide whether what I said was true and whether based on what you believed, whether or not you were going to do anything about it. Okay, this morning, if you're here this morning, I'm telling you that the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ is available to all who will believe and be baptized. That's the truth, and that's his grace. The question is whether or not you believe it and whether you're going to actually do something about it. The word for that is respond. If you're ready to receive the grace of Christ, then you need to respond. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, there was 40-ish of you that intellectually knew there was a $20 bill up here, but didn't believe enough to do anything about it. That's what I'm trying to preach to this morning. Do you believe Jesus? Good. Do you love Jesus? Great. Then do what he said. You say, aren't I trying to earn it? Aren't I trying to do it? No, 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 not at all. If you believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, then you, of course, need to respond to it. 
If you're ready for new life, then you have to have new birth. That's where it starts. And I'm going to issue an invitation here in a few minutes, and I want to encourage you that if you're not in Christ, that you'll begin this morning with a new birth. And finally, a new life continues by walking right. Now I'm going to guess that the, the, the statistically, I've got about 80% of you that have already made the decision to receive the grace of Christ. And so most of the time when the preacher starts talking about the grace, you say, well, I've, I've already done that. Check that off. I'm good. But, but there's, a, there's a part of it that we've got to understand here. We've got to grow. We've got to mature. We were there, therefore buried with him in, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, catch this, we too might walk a new life. It's not just about new birth. It's about walking in new life. Now, this is where the illustration falls short, of course, because, I mean, I guess Austin's life is going to be different now that he's got $20. He's probably going to, you know, pay his parents back, I'm sure. Uh, no. <laughs> if you got in the water, now I'm looking at my friend Cassandra Price. Cassandra was baptized, praise God, uh, just eight days ago, December 31st, right? So she's an eight-day-old baby in Christ. And now for her, life is beginning to, to take on a new form. She's looking at the world through with new eyes, having new vision. She's walking. She's beginning to learn to walk in Christ. So what we understand then is, sorry, no time for questions. <laughs> the journey of Christ, what I'm saying here is, doesn't end when you're immersed into Christ. It, it, it's just a beginning of a new kind of change. Think of any kind of person that Jesus came into interaction with, whether it was a woman who needed healing, whether it was a man who was blind, whether it was apostles who were fishermen. Jesus came in every person that he came into contact with. He never left them in the same condition. He always had bigger dreams of who God wanted them to be. He changed them. He matured them. He grew them. And that's what we call growth. We were buried with him by baptism for a purpose, you see. To walk as Jesus walked. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. That's why I'm in 2 John here. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him... But does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. See, Cassandra's going to grow. I'm going to grow. You're going to grow. If you're in Christ, you're going to walk more and more like Christ. You begin to reflect him in all that you do. John goes on to say this even more severely. First John chapter one, verses five, I'm sorry, six and seven. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light 
As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let me say that again. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You may say, well, I was baptized 15 years ago or 45 years ago or 50 years ago. But if you're walking in darkness, you're not abiding with Christ. Being in Christ means not just new life. It means a new kind of walk. This morning, I want you to examine your heart and say, are there any areas in my life where I'm letting darkness in that shouldn't be there? All right, we're going to continue that series next week and for a few more weeks after that. Each month, I'm going to give you a challenge, and this is the challenge for January. I want you to do kind of what the teens did back in spring so long ago. I want you to pay it backwards. What I mean by that is uh, when you go to in the line through Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or wherever it is, I want you to buy the person's lunch behind you. I want you to give someone else an undeserved, unmerited gift of favor. Could be in the grocery store, could be at the coffee shop, uh, could be wherever you are. But, but in the next three weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to give someone else a gift. And I'd love to hear your feedback on how it went, if anything happened. How did people respond if they did respond? This morning, I have a question for you. God's given you a gift through his son, Jesus. My question is, how will you respond to that gift? How will you change because of that gift? Have you died to sin? Are you ready to die to sin? If you Are you ready to stop living in sin? Have you been born again? If you cannot answer any of those questions in the affirmative, uh, I want to call you to begin to walk right, to repent, or to begin walking with Christ for the very first time by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of his Holy Spirit. No better way to start a new year than walking in a new life. Won't you come? If you have any need, we can help you. I'll help you and encourage you on our shepherd's will as well as together we stand and sing.